This show is about spoilers and discussion. It's also about spooky things that are best enjoyed after you see the movie. So any movie we talk about, we recommend you go see. You've been warned. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. What an excellent day for an exorcism. Horror. There is no shortage of monsters to haunt our dreams. Horror. You go right on you. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Hey everybody, and welcome to another episode of Oh the Horror, a podcast where we take a look at classic and modern horror films from an expert and a newcomer's perspective. I'm the expert Rob Holmes. And I'm the newcomer Steve Allman. And today uh, we are talking about, well, I guess like the granddaddy of them all, you know, uh, 1973's The Exorcist. Yes, indeed. Uh, man, yeah. like the pedigree on this movie, I think this is, I mean, well-regarded pretty much as the scariest movie of all time. I mean, in any, in any real list that we can we can ascribe to. On, on most lists, this is in people's top five, usually top three or at the top, uh, directed by William Friedkin and um, based on the novel by William Peter Blatley. And he also did the screenplay and produced it. So there was a lot... Um, <clears throat> there was a lot going on in this film, and I think the reason that it did so well, it was nominated for 10 Academy Awards, and it won, I think, two out of that. Um, it th- grossed, like, $440 million worldwide or something like that. It's an uh, insane it w- amount of money. Yeah, because it won for Best Sound, Best Adapted Screenplay. This movie was, as weird as this is, this was the Christmas movie of 1973. Exactly. This more or less was a cultural phenomenon. This movie, at at its time, took the world by storm. Uh, It went out to no theaters. It went out, it looks like it's somewhere around 26 theaters, and then became a success based on uh, reviews, word of mouth, and you know when it when something grosses that much worldwide and especially for an r-rated horror film it's the first horror film to be nominated for best picture exactly and this was I and mean, mind you this yeah. is pre star wars this is pre a lot of big big horror movies that we like well star wars is not a star wars is not a no horror film but it is well, no, 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 as, but like as far as like a cultural phenomenon that like okay cult, cultural took phenomenon the, yeah took the it, world by sure. storm and gained massive massive popularity and like has easily ascended into like the cultural lexicon of film uh this is very much a trailblazing movie what's funny about this film is that most people who hate horror films uh like can my my parents are very very conservative and do not like horror films now i'm not trying to blanket by saying conservatives don't like horror films but my parents in particular do not and happen to be conservative but because this film is like an Academy Award nominee. They don't call it a horror film. They call it, you know, a a drama or a dramatic thriller or some sort of thing like that. And I'm like, oh, all right. I mean, cool, you just don't want to... You're ashamed. It's like, well, it seems like people get ashamed by the word horror and they want to call it something else. Right. So they'll call it a thriller. They'll call it this or that. But, you know... At the end of the day, this is the epitome of a horror film. You're dealing straight up with demons, right? You're dealing with, you know, demonic possession... Uh, this girl who's being put literally through hell, um, people getting killed 
a lot of people dying, man, and of weird causes and a lot of off-screen deaths, which makes this film that much more eerie uh, because there are a couple of deaths in this film that you never see and you just kind of hear about. And if you're not paying attention, you have no idea that it happened. Exactly. And and speaking of which, this is very much a movie that uh, demands you to pay attention. Whether or not it effectively tells you to pay attention to it, you need to pay attention to it in order to get really anything out of it until maybe the final 20 minutes. Uh, and this is a two-hour yeah. long movie, uh, by the way. And I, then you also have the the director's cut, which um, was like, they called it the version you've never seen that came out in 2000, which added in the spider walk, uh, which has a contortion, contortionist um, playing Reagan and walking down the stairs, like bent backwards on her fingertips and then like her toes and doing that and they actually got that in there but it was so creepy that they're like all right this escalates it a little too much now i've watched i own the the extended cut and i love having that moment in there i actually think the extended cut makes this film much more effective especially mm-hmm. nowadays like I mean, with I, with the amount of stuff that you see in films it, it gives it that added little bit that you that you want i will say this uh th- this is very much an adaptation of a book because man this movie is oh, dense yeah. and this movie is dry oh, yeah. this movie is dry for a good portion of its beginning um because a lot of it is just it, it feels like it meanders just in the mythos of religion and like it begins with like an like an archaeological like excavation of this just monument to a demon that doesn't really like to the viewer doesn't mean anything and is not really explained well until much later uh that yeah there's so the- it's it's like it's father father marin uh which is played by max von sadow who you know because what's funny is you see max von sadow later on in movies and you're like man this dude was old his whole life and it's like no max von sadow was like late 30s or 40s or something and they did so much makeup for him for for father marin like old age makeup and that was one of their uh nominations i think was for special effects makeup some of it was for reagan but a lot of it was for marin because it just made this guy look so old, and it was just awesome. And he, and he was noticeably old in this. Like, it, it, like to he, this actor obviously being one of the more famous movies that he's been in has just been known to be that old, even though he was not even nearly that old. Yeah, exactly. And he, well, it's because he played it so well, and you know, this is why this movie is so well done. You have Ellen Bernstein or Bernstein who ends up getting. Uh, an Oscar nomination off this as well. Linda Blair coming in, a relative newcomer, or maybe this was her first film, as Reagan McNeil. Um, this was, I guess, the best slash worst thing to happen to her because, you know, child star stuff happened. She was kind of like the poster child for for uh, child star issues, I guess. Um, but, you know, she's, I mean, she turned her life around and it seems like she's, she's doing a lot better. She's still doing horror movies, more B-movies now, but... You know, everybody loves Linda Blair because she's great. Um, but, yeah, it's interesting because then you also – you're following different people in this. You're following uh, Father Damien Karras as he's dealing with his mother. And, and that's a very quick scene because you deal you see him and his mom who's older and she can't take care of herself. Next thing you know, she's in this home. Next thing you know, she's dead. And it's uh, apparently months have passed in, in literally – maybe two minutes of scenes again it's tough it, man it, it's, it's remember we're going off a dense novel you know and, and putting this into a film written by you know the writer of it and being produced so he's going to try and keep in all of these elements as right. much as possible and and i won't really speak on uh 
a lot of the sequels because nobody really needs uh, to. But I think I, you know this I, I will briefly at the end. I will say that it, were this movie uh, even slightly less restrained, uh, this could go the way of like not being so cohesive at all because we just there's no real like passing of the torch from character to character uh in these scenes uh again like it picks up in the latter half honestly it to me it's it's like the perfect adaptation of a novel come to life for better and worse necessarily not for better and worse but you know because it does drag on a bit but it definitely you're following different stories not all of them necessarily tie together but it's world building that you're getting throughout that you get into a novel or you get in a novel and then you know you start finding out stuff about chris mcneil you find out you know she's a um she's a movie star and her, her daughter reagan has been kind of grown up with this her entire life and is just kind of used to this you know it seems like they're used to to dealing with the fame and all of that type of stuff and her parents i guess are separated or divorced we kind of get a little backstory on that as well um she seems like a normal child then she starts talking about this person captain howdy and these games that they're playing and what she can and can't say type stuff um and it, you know at first you don't really know what's going on and you've you've kind of followed a couple of different characters in the beginning we followed you know father Marin a little bit so far we followed uh you know damien for a while uh, lieutenant kinderman appears here and there played by lee j cobb in the third film um played by george c scott and the main character of the third film so there and that's actually really cool like the third one's good but We'll get into that a bit later, but you know, there's a lot of characters that we're, we're getting in here, and there's a couple of other. There's Father Dyer as well, who uh, appears in I think the third one as well, um, and and a couple of other people as we're meeting throughout. But what happens is that at some point, Reagan starts to get sick and needs to go see a doctor. She's acting out; some stuff is going wrong. She's definitely yeah there, there's there's some symptoms yeah it, it's, and she can't it's really... very unexplained and it's very uh it's very unsettling the way that she behaves which i really like because the I, I like the child acting is very good for the acting out and all of that stuff it's it's pretty cool she played because the thing is she plays with this ouija board and it's so subtly referenced in there and you're like wait and that's how she ends up connecting to this creature so really when you think about the exorcist there's so much to it it's just kind of throwaway lines that normally a film would focus on they would focus on her with the ouija board more they have a little scene with it but not her trying to summon uh captain howdy you know and that that's something where it would have been really cool i don't know if it would have been cool to actually see all of that happened, and that's why I think this movie works so well. It's kind of like stuff happens in the background. We're just going to catch you up in these moments in the film. And right? that's and that's kind of I think that's where this movie like still holds up. It's where it forces it, you to pay attention, right? And if you and even if you don't pay attention, something will catch your eye uh, immediately. That is like, wait, what? What? What was that that I just saw? Or what is that that that's just happening? Like, uh, it yeah. has a brilliant way of. Uh, even bringing back your attention in a weird way, if that makes any sense. Because, again, this movie's very dense. There's a lot to kind of take in. And I, again, for better or worse, like, you, I feel myself going in and out of, like, fully paying attention. And Well, that's that's the thing about this film is the rewatchability. Because as you watch it, if you pay attention to the conversations that are happening, 
it's very, very intricate stuff that is just put in there, and the acting is just so subtle. That's what this film, this film goes for realistic horror that is not trying at any point. It's never pushing in and going, hey man, look at what we're doing, look at what we're doing. It's kind of like, hey, this is a real world setting, and this is shit that is just happening in this real world setting, and people react accordingly. Like, the reactions are legitimate, which is why this film was nominated for so many Academy Awards. It's just expertly crafted, and it just doesn't feel like it's trying, and that's why it's effective. Well, what I will say is that th this uh, formula, this structure, has, you could easily see in the movies that we reviewed uh, in past, like Hereditary's coming to mind, uh, a couple of others, like even uh, The Conjuring. We have this sort of baseline formula of like a, a good first half of exposition, uh, character building dialogue like like a, this sounds simple at the time this sounds very basic like we all know how movies work but it's like the 50 50 split you right. you go with your exposition you get a kill or two and then at the f halfway mark you kind of ramp it up and then you know you you have your ending and your resolution that's and it the, yeah. and like and again this but a movie like this wasn't tackled like this before because uh this was the slow like you you I could only imagine how audiences who had seen this for the first time back in the day wouldn't even really know what they're seeing because it's it's like I mean it's a Hitchcock slow burn essentially at first very 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 think. slow and then uh, it just so because you think it's going to be psychological just that because of the way Reagan, Reagan starts acting but then she starts being abnormally strong I think split personality she comes downstairs she pees all over the rug she says someone's going to die when they go off to space. Uh, all this crazy stuff starts happening. You know, they take her into all these different tests and, you know, you, you get this montage of her going through all this testing and how she's... And the testing is great. I mean, it's so grating and loud and obnoxious and, like, you know, you, you kind of are, are with her manic state of mind as she's getting some of these tests. And it's, 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 um, it's really disturbing also to see, like, these odd medical procedures a la the 70s that were disturbing oh to see God. like the, the way the, the, neck, the needle in the, the head and the, the ink and all that stuff like it's yeah and the blood like pouring out of her neck like they just were you know it squirts a couple of times they right put the yeah tube in they do all that stuff and i'm like holy shit man you guys are you guys are just showing like they this. went okay. for it back then like they really really did well they it this movie was all about realism it was if this were to happen this is how this would happen in the real world and they, they definitely are showing everything is engaging in the real world. They're even saying, like, this woman, you know, the mother of Reagan, you know, Chris, she she's a Hollywood actress. She makes movies for a living. The stuff she does is fake, but this is real. Uh, so I think that also adds that, that extra element to it. And it's kind of why they keep Reagan at home, because, you know, she's she's the daughter of a famous actress. They don't want to have her at a normal hospital. They want to keep her out of the way or with specialists. So it, it makes that her being possessed at home thing work so much better than if you were to put any other character in this role. Um, it, yeah, and, and I, I think, again, like, there are moments where everybody gets to shine. Uh, in this movie, even if even if it's not captivating the entire way, because the movie does have like excellent moment to moment parts that I think the sum of it make a classic that still can hold the test of time for sure. But uh, it, it again, like the, the it shows its age in parts. Uh, there are some well. moments of that, but you know, then we start ending up with. Uh, 
I mean, the creepiness factor, you know, starts with, I guess, you know, with that whole we kill a few people along the way. Uh, so the director, Burke Dennings, ends up dying. I guess he had been babysitting, but he's a drunk, you know, so they thought he had just left. But it turns out he has fallen down those crazy steps that are outside. And, it, you know, it looks like he had fallen out a window or thrown out of a window. And Chris starts thinking maybe Reagan had done it. So she starts, she talks to Father Karras, who is a psychiatrist as well, and, and kind of there's, well, she talks to them later on, but like Kinderman comes out and you have Kinderman talking about all of them going on and all the weird stuff that's happening. So Karras is all of a sudden, he gets kind of brought into this to talk to Chris and everything that's going on, and they kind of are bringing him in uh, because they realize this girl might be possessed by something because she's acting really weird. Oh, um, yeah, like, this may or may not have been happening as she's just, like, you know, been tearing the house apart and, like, having demon voices the beds, come out you know, of it's, it's some, yeah, the bed thing, the crucifix where like, she's, you know, like... I think this something might be fishy here. Dude, some of the stuff that she pulls, you could not get away with nowadays in film. The stuff oh, that for they sure. did in 73, and it was shocking then. And what's, what's weird is that I think at some point in the late 90s, that type of stuff stopped becoming shocking because... Once we hit at the end, yeah, I guess that at the end of the 90s into the 2000s. So into the 2000s up until I guess the last few years when everything's become overly PC, The Exorcist was considered the most tame film, you know, in probably like 2010, 2011. All of a sudden, everything gets overly PC and people want to complain about everything. And The Exorcist is one of the most shocking films of all time again. And that's kind of twofold because a in in the seventies the envelope wasn't that far to push you know like there wasn't really that much ground to break back in the seventies like for what it did it was incredible to do at the time and that's what makes it a classic that's what makes it so revolutionary that also being that it is the most revolutionary because it is now the bar most of its competitors and most of the movies that came after it it is now the standard. For if you were to make a like a, any semblance of a decent horror movie, it is the it is the mold that we are now. Finding. Yeah, but none none ever go none none ever push the boundaries in the way this pushed the boundaries. Exactly because and the, like the standards and practices that go into making movies, like you're not going to put a child actor through any of this. You're not going to put all of these practical effects and, and stunts in all of these scenarios with these actors. Like, well, it is, the the amount of like the number one, you're dealing with religion, you're dealing with sacrilegious stuff, you're dealing with like. A child sexuality in this as well granted possessed by the devil but they're definitely pushing like a a sexual nature into this like very 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 heavily um and especially she's stabbing herself in the vagina with a crucifix at one point um yeah. yelling out fuck me fuck even me, fuck even me. like that's like and it's just like even now i'm, I'm like, sitting there this time really just like messed up Oh, I'm floored at this. And, you know, it's been years. I remember I saw this as a kid just being like, I was a huge fan of just gore and psychological stuff. I didn't care that much about it. I just wanted to see as much gore as possible. I'm watching this now because I, I, you know, I'm definitely more into psychological now because I've seen just about all the types of gore. So I'm like, let's go back and delve into something else. And watching this and in this moment, I'm just like, holy shit. Like, if you were to walk into something like that, it's just like turn around and run away because that is absolutely horrifying. And then just the way the head kind of spins around, you know, then it cuts to another scene and you're just like, what the 
hell am I watching? You know, Mercedes McCambridge doing the voice of Pazuzu is absolutely fantastic. Like, I, I just that that voice is so oh it's it's in it's incredible the, the design of that voice let alone like the thing that it says is it's like th there's like a mathematical formula to get like the most disturbing unnatural sound to the human ear and i think that is damn near close to exactly what it is because like a voice a voice shouldn't sound like that it shouldn't be saying things like that it, it's perfect it's so so good it was like, you know, it was a, I know it was smoking a ton of cigarettes, chain smoking before she went in and, and recorded the stuff for it. And it was the stuff that she was saying and the noises that just so guttural and so visceral. And then having that voice come out of a child um, who is now just looks absolutely awful. I mean, she's done, you know, later on she does the spitting up the pea soup. Uh, you know, the famous vomit right, thing, yeah, the levitating. iconic thing that's been spoofed and gassed up a bunch, a bunch of times. You see it says, help me inside of her. Finally, you know, so what happens is um, Damien goes over there, sees what's going on. They write a letter, letter to uh, Father Marin, and he goes and, you know, leaves from where he's at doing his, I guess, where he was doing the excavations in Iraq and then decides to come back to help out with this. And we get that iconic image from the poster as he as he's coming in, and you know the music in this just it's so it's so good. Like oh, in I these mean, moments, I'm just like, like this what, is, what is there that can be said about this music? Like it again, uh, the gold standard for <laughs> this is why this is why when we think of you know Oscar worthy horror films, this is the one because it really is like one of the only horror films to do Oscar you know to win an Oscar other than like Get Out and a, a handful of other stuff, maybe a couple Hitchcock ones. For something that goes into the supernatural, this is just absolutely fantastic and by the time we get to the end of it veers off in some strange ways you don't know what's going to happen you think it's going to get crazy and this insane battle but it's way more psychological than you would ever expect it to be yeah and i again it's it's messing with the viewer's mind because all of these things just seemingly like are the movie assaults you in its final few minutes of oh yeah everything that that can it, that can be shown to you everything that uh they put this child and these priests through uh and seeing every unnatural thing seemingly right before your eyes it's the tangential thing that you are looking at that like they cannot possibly fake this this like well, and uh, you get some of the most iconic just moments in there how the room's freezing and then you have her floating above the bed yeah. um and it's so it's the, so naturally the, the awful, unnatural like that, like yeah, that's the, the thing awful like I, stuff that she says to to Damien. It, it's so good because I when I see effects like that, even back in the day, I was like, how do you conceive of that? Like with the limited amount of tools that you had in the 70s, let alone now. I couldn't do that now with a full like, you know, a, a Vegas suite like and like a special effects camp. Let alone they did that. They made that work in camera. Uh, all of those things. It's it's incredible the the amount of things that this movie could do in its final few minutes and it, it's it's worth the historical lesson of filmmaking alone uh, to be like oh this is this is where you started this is where uh, modern horror started as we know it like everything that we that has come since like can can be traced back like we have a few other golden rule examples here but 
The Exorcist. So I mean, is really, still... really, what it comes down to is, I would say, Peeping Tom and Psycho in 1960, and then you have a few others throughout the years. But then, as far as going into the supernatural, uh, Exorcist, yeah, that that really pushes it. That pushed it into the mainstream. So horror definitely became full on mainstream the second The Exorcist took off. Yeah, you know, it's um. um it, it's it a got big respect deal. finally, you know, and, and and while Psycho did get a lot of respect and and Peeping Tom was extremely extremely underrated, uh, yeah, the the Exorcist pushed it. it. It pushed the limits. It pushed the boundaries. It offended a whole lot of people, but that is what brought people into it because it was expertly crafted and expertly done. You even have Marin, who you think is there to save the day. He dies of a heart attack. He just is gone. All of a sudden, you know, Damien comes back in. Wait, what? Like, Marin's <laughs> yeah. gone. And he ha- knows he has to save this girl. And, man, Pazuzu just messes with him so much. And then finally he attacks Regan and then is straight up just like, go into me. You know, just go into me. Right. And Pazuzu rips off his his uh, his necklace and then... You see him get possessed, and in that moment of, of him holding on and with his faith, he's able to like jump out that window. Right, and, and it's it's perishes a, in the it's same a, way. It's, again, but it's, it's so like... the the despair and the desperation in this in these scenes are so uh, uh, it's so visceral and it's so feral. Like it, the the clawing of just like just dude, like take like it, it's it's so unsettling. Still, it's a dynamite twenty minutes. That this movie ends. It really on. is. I mean, and that's that's what people remember the most. They remember, they they don't really remember the beginning as much. No, I don't even remember the beginning of it, and I saw it today. Like, <laughs> they, yeah, they they start having you know when Reagan starts having her her possession moments. No one ever remembers how it happens though. You know, there's a few people who are like, uh, I don't know, she does a Ouija board like a seance thing, talks to this thing, but most people don't remember that at all. They're like, I don't know, something happens, and all of a sudden she's possessed. They always remember the head turning around, her spitting up on everybody, floating above the bed, the the holy water and everything that goes on with that. I mean, it's 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 crazy, man. It's, yeah, it's, it's so it's and it's held up for forty five years. Like this is the forty fifth anniversary of it, and it is still talked about as some people's favorite film of all time. I can see why if if you're a big reader, you know, a literary buff, like I could see The Exorcist being at the top of your list and and here's the thing the the mythos of the exorcist like the this like long fought battle with this demon that uh this clergy has that this priest has uh, like it's it's structured like a crime novel it's structured like like i'm trying to chase after this perp like the cop is trying to find the perpetrator it's uh it's this long-standing saga of like this battle between these two foes and that idea is really cool. It's very appealing. And it seems that, like, not even the original, not even this movie, really capitalized on it in a captivating way, at least to me. Uh, the sequels still try to, like, perpetuate that idea. Uh, but I really like the idea that the movie brought forward with its mythos and with, like, its book adaptation. Uh, but as far as sheer filmmaking... This movie lives and dies in its final 20 minutes. Like it is like that is that is the that is the history on the screen 
that is what you uh, deserve to see. Uh, I I would, of of course, I would recommend The Exorcist, but like now, I feel like it ages in such a way that like it, it can't grasp everybody. But the final twenty minutes are probably something that need to be experienced by everybody. So I think I have to say yes. It's weird because I still like this movie. I like it a lot. I think that the most important aspects of it are garnered in its ending and the lasting cultural effect that it had on literally the entire genre of movies that we built this podcast around. And Yeah, I mean, to me, it's a central viewing. I, I think everybody needs to watch it, whether you're into, you know, a fast-paced, fast-paced you know gore splatter film or not uh you you still need to see the exorcist because there's still elements of every type of film in this and it's all expertly crafted and especially being done as such a slow burn and and having that type of payoff where it's you know so widely regarded as as one of if not the greatest horror film of all time for sure absolutely i i completely Um, agree that being said, <laughs> we kind of have to talk about the rest of the series a bit. I've seen all of them. We, we can touch on it briefly. You have. I, th- I think. You, how many? So, how many have you seen? Uh, I have seen zero, but I have heard that Great. they are all terrible. We are going to briefly, very ble- briefly, go through um, these films and which ones to watch and which ones not to. Uh, so, Exorcist to the Heretic. Really, if there is any film that could shit the bed as much. Uh, this is this is that film <laughs> the know, most exorcistingly bed shitting well, movie it, it, the problem with this movie is it took all of the really amazing stuff in the first one and the fact that it took itself so seriously and played it all off as being very real and exorcist 2 makes a mockery of that it almost seems it's just not a good film. All of it, it, the production value has dropped significantly. I'm laughing during most of it when I guess they want me to take it seriously. It deals with, you know, evil doppelgangers and stuff like that. It's not a good film. Um, there are defenders. There are some people who are like, well, there's different versions and this one's better. No. I would not recommend it. Skip over that. Go straight to Exorcist 3 because it was actually directed by William Peter Blatley who wrote the original novel and the original screenplay and produced the original film. And this, he wrote it and he directed it. Um, There's two versions of it. You can watch either of them. It's it's solid. I mean, now we're focusing on uh, a couple of the side characters in Exorcist 3. You know, it's it's cool. I, I actually, I have a lot of fun with that one. I would say Exorcist, then then all of a sudden we have Exorcist the Beginning and, and Dominion, which all started off as, it was just supposed to be Exorcist the Beginning. It was Rennie Harlan going in direct. It had been 14 years since Exorcist 3, and there were just issues right off the bat. You know, there was problems, people talking about CG wolves and all sorts of, of terrible garbage, which, by the way, terrible cg wolves are in both exorcist the beginning and dominion prequel to the exorcist yes these are actually their titles exorcist the beginning i think it's stellan sarsgaard in in both of these films as the main character they switch out a lot of different people because some actors could stay on when they did the reshoot some couldn't so they really just took some characters fully out of the screenplay changed it around they're different enough but here's the thing at the end of the day neither of them are good and this would actually tell the story of Father Marin 
dealing with Pazuzu for the first time. And again, like the, they, so they try to build this mythos, and it's they seem to stumble almost every other time, uh, which is probably I think tantamount to not only the series but kind of the a bit of the first movie, where it, it feels like it's a stumble until we get to the meat of it. Uh, and I, I still, but again, still recommend like getting back to the actual uh, matter at hand. Solid recommendation well, still because a- absolutely, and then. Well, before we even wrap fully up on that, there's a few more things we kind of have to, to go over with this. So so Dominion was Paul Schrader came in to try and fix it. No, didn't work. So 2004 and 2005, one went to theaters and bombed horribly. I think the other, they kind of released it on DVD at the same time around as the other one came out. Uh, and then they decided to bring it back again as a TV series on Fox, which I was super hesitant about, and Gina Davis stars in. Um, and this was on for two seasons. Apparently is very, very good, and the fans of it say it's it's absolutely fantastic as, a, as an exorcist show, and they really like the storylines. It got a season two. Apparently that's still fantastic, but then due to low viewership, that got pulled but you know it's something that we could always see in the future but i think that's the way to go because they've looked at every way to do the exorcist and and in films it seems like they hit they got the first one and they they hit it out of the park i know you're you have some some issues with it and i completely understand with all the rest of the films they're they're so hit or miss uh, Exorcist 3 has one of the coolest kills of all time with those giant clock tower shears. Like, it's insane. Clock tower video game series. It's it, That whole thing is awesome. Um, but I think going a TV series route is the way to go. And hopefully, you know, it will somehow find new life on another network. Uh, certainly the, uh, the length and uh, breadth of The Exorcist is uh, found far, far, far uh, past its 1970s premiere. And even to this very day, it is uh, still widely contested as something that we uh, wish to keep exploring uh, for better and for worse. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, you know, it's a solid series. I would say one and three, you know, you get Jason Miller back as Father Karras. You get Kinderman in both. It, it's it's solid. You get Father Dyer in there. Stick one, three in the TV series. I think you'll be solid. Okay. That's a solid recommend then. Yeah. All right. Well, that is going to do it for us this week on Oh the Horror. What do we have in the pipeline next week, Rob? Oh man, this is going to be a good one. Uh, so we are going to take a look at the 1996 Peter Jackson classic, The Frighteners. Yes, indeed. Looking forward to seeing that one and all of the surprises that we have this month in October as well. Thank you so much for listening to Oh the Horror Cast. Feel free to check us out on iTunes or whatever platform that you get your podcasts at. Give us a review if you like it so much. It helps the show a lot. We really appreciate it if you spread the word. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Oh the Horror Cast as well as Oh the Horror Cast at gmail.com for your fun suggestions. And until next time, I am Steve Allman. And I'm Rob Holmes. We'll see you next time, everybody. Time to keep your appointment with the Wicker Man. And there's no more room in hell. The dead 